Welcome to Talkin' SEC. Writer, photographer, and producer Philip Jordan discusses the latest news and breaks down the biggest games with the best analyst around. Now, from Southeast Alabama, a state that knows its sports, here is Philip Jordan. What's up, y'all? Welcome into Talking SEC. I am your host, Philip Jordan, from Last Word Old College Football, where I covered Auburn Tigers and 96.9 The Legend in Dothan, Alabama, where I am the in-studio host and producer for Dothan Woods Football. Thank you for checking out today's podcast. You can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast platforms. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please subscribe, rate, and review. It really means a lot to do that. If you leave a review, I will read it on a future edition of the show. You can follow me on social media at PJordanSEC. You can find the show on social media at Talking SEC Pod. Now, this is the preview edition of the show. I'm going to be joined by David Waters from the Gators Breakdown Podcast, but doing it differently this week. Usually in the open, I would give the picks. Did that as I did it last week. This week, doing it different. You'll hear my conversation with David, and then I'll give you my picks for the week. David is on to preview the Florida Georgia matchup this Saturday, the biggest matchup in the SEC. And a pretty big weekend in college football overall because you also have, of course, outside the SEC, Clemson and Notre Dame. But anyways, let's get David on and let's preview Florida and Georgia. Everybody joining me today on Talking SEC is a good friend of the program, David Waters. You can check out his podcast, the Gators Breakdown Podcast. And uh, David, I do appreciate you taking some time out and calling the podcast today. No problem, no problem. Big game this week. Uh, got our got our first taste of Florida football in about three weeks last week, so uh, get to follow that up with the, the, the big game versus Georgia. That's it, that's it. Uh, do you still call it on your podcast, the world's largest outdoor cocktail party? I do, I do. Um, too bad it won't be that this year. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks 2020 for that, but uh, you know, it will be, it's going to be interesting to uh, – that, that name will always hang around, but it's going to be interesting to see – just what it looks like. Um, don't get me wrong. You know, going to Gainesville on game day is already weird enough. But everything that's around Florida, Georgia, the, the RV city and the partying and 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 just the the fairgrounds and the uh, just the just the amount of orange and blue and red and black mixed together that you're not going to see Saturday. That that's going to be. I mean, home games are weird enough, and, and not seeing the tailgate and all that, but. In an event that's pretty much known for it, and not being and not seeing it, it's that's re- it's really going to hit hard uh, going into that game uh, on Saturday. Yeah, it's always cool for me just watching it on TV when they do the wide shot of the stadium. You see, you know, the, the fans separate. Like, and one side is the Florida, and the other side is the Georgia. And you kind of answered one of my questions was the atmosphere going into. So that's, I guess, that is weird. It's just, you know, it's weird all together. But I guess at the end of the day, we gotta be thankful that we do have it. Uh, have college football and football in general. And uh, you know, I was yeah, talking to you. The, the, yeah, the, the, the biggest change is, and just to kind of, to, I'll extend it since you were going to ask about it, is that, you know, to, to limit everything, they're not even opening the parking lot to the stadium until three hours before kickoff. Ooh. They are trying to, to shy people away from converging on downtown like they normally do. Uh, now, of course, you know, the, the independent lots and, and private owned lots around the stadium can, can be used for whatever uh, they, they want. But if it's a stadium facility or, or city owned and all that, Good luck getting anything until about three hours before kickoff. 
And I go throw this out there, and it's part of my head. You know, this is a game I believe is built for two thirty in the afternoon Central Time. Uh, oh yeah, but with everything, the schools you can't, in the city do not want that to be a night game. But with not all that stuff, I mean, I guess you know now you look at hey, you wouldn't want to go against. I don't know if you, you would want to go against the Clemson and Notre Dame game. I don't know, you yeah. know two big games at the same time. But if it was for that, do you think this probably twenty twenty would have been a, a okay year to put this at night if they had? Maybe, but they probably you know they made a decision beforehand. I, th- yeah. I believe it's even contracted into the SEC contract uh, that you know before the SEC even announces TV schedules for the year, Florida and Georgia is already scheduled for three thirty. Uh, you know, the, the last week of October, first week of November. So, like I said, they they've got an understanding with the city of Jacksonville and the two schools that to keep it as safe as possible that they, uh, they, they, they keep that game off of a primetime slot. So, you know, knowing that they did it well before the season, they still didn't really know where COVID was going to be the first week of November. They just probably went ahead and just kept it at that 3.30 slot. You know, looking at this game, and I am going to bring up the Missouri game from this past week, but just overall looking at Florida for this game, uh, this is year three under Dan Mullen. You know, he is 0-2. Uh, against Georgia and you know last year 24-17 it was a close game there and that one just and, and I'm not saying importance like job obviously not Dan Mullen's safe I mean he has done a fantastic job of Florida but just going into this game just, I mean how how big of a game is this for Florida going in knowing they have lost two in a row and perhaps you know this is you know you were favored coming in the season as the BDSC East champion. So, I mean, how how important is this for Florida, not just season-wide, but just overall? Yeah, it's big. You know, this was the year a lot of people were pointing to that uh, if you were going to do it, this is the, the, the year to do it. And uh, as you said, you go through preseason magazines and, and all that before the season, and a lot of them were picking Florida. A lot of Florida was a trendy pick for a college football playoff spot, and that was because people were – finally picking Florida over Georgia. And now look, I know the season, especially on the defensive side of the ball, didn't get off to the right start. And you, you dropped the game to Texas. Uh, but you had already figured at that point, most people were already kind of pointing to Georgia losing to Alabama. So you knew it was going to come down to Jacksonville anyway. Uh, we, we've circled we, – Gator fans circled this game anyway. But mm-hmm. now the nation circled this game as far as – what steps has Florida taken? What steps has Florida taken in, in, in being the top of the SEC and competing with Alabama and Georgia for a college football playoff spot? And that beats and that starts by beating Georgia. So Mo's got Mo's got, has some pressure on him, man. And it's year three, and a lot of people are asking themselves if you can't do it this year, especially with the way the years played out now. But this was even before the season started. If you can't do it this year, when are you going to do it? And then the season plays out a bit, and Georgia has some quarterback issues. And now the week of the game, Georgia has some uh, injuries on on defense that you know Florida should be able to take advantage of on offense. So it, it's lining up for you know for Florida to go out there and be competitive and, and walk out of Jacksonville with a win. And if you find a, if you find a way to lose it, and you know then now uh, as you said, there's no hot seat talk. There's no job security talk with, with, with you know starting and three versus georgia but i think the questions start getting uh, a little steamy of like okay can't do it this year when's he gonna do it and philip let's not forget too you know dan Mullen's made a lot of off field headlines uh, the, 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 the the last few weeks yeah do those things get magnified now because if you go out here and lose it if you go out here and beat georgia a lot of that stuff just goes by the wayside and, and nobody really thinks about it but if you lose then people kind of start tying unnecessary 
um, <laughs> knots together uh, for, from the last couple of weeks. So you know, th- th- this game is big for Florida. It's big for Dan Mullen, and uh, it's a, 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 could be a big momentum booster for the rest of the season. I, I don't want to like you know drag out this because it's been talked about enough this week, and we, this is a Thursday podcast. We're headed toward the game, but everything with Dan Mullen this week because what happened, you know, when I was going in for halftime with Missouri, the brawl, you know, obviously uh, Dan Mullen got fined this week. Uh, Florida lost some players for the first half for this Saturday too. But just, just what's been your overall take on what people have been saying nationally and everything going around Dan Mullen this week? You know. It- of course, I'm looking at it from uh, an orange and blue side a little bit here, but I think a lot of it got overblown. Um, especially, now don't get me wrong did he did he get overblown himself Saturday night a, a bit? Yes, he absolutely did. But the talks of a suspension for the Georgia game—I mean, that come on—that's yeah. way taking it way too far. Should he have been fined? Absolutely. You, you can't go out there and, and act like that a little that. But you know, we've seen. We've seen previous head coaches go out there and chase down uh, referees during halftime or, or, or after a game and, you know, get up in their face and holler. We see it in baseball all the time, of, of course, too. Look, I, I'll go ahead and tell you this. Florida players love it. And if that's something that they can build off of and go to the rest of the season and, and, and win some ball games, then, you know, as I said, you know, Florida's just kind of stay in their own bubble. And, okay, well, if you don't like it, oh, well. Yeah, Florida fans are used to that with Steve Spurrier, so don't get me wrong. So they, they don't really care about that that factor of it. But I did think it got a little too far of calling for a suspension. And, of course, you know, it was just kind of on the heels of Dan Mullen's pack the swamp and COVID comments and the team getting COVID. It's been an eventful you know, off the field, kind of on the field because of the incident fighting, fighting incident. You know, just things away from football itself has kind of taken a life of its own within the last month in the Gator program. So that, that was just kind of one more thing to to pile on there. But no, in no way, shape, or form should he be suspended for the Georgia game because of uh, that, that incident Saturday night. Yeah, I'm with you. When I heard people saying, I said, okay, y'all just trying to find some, something to talk about this week because that, yeah. that should not happen. Uh, Dan Mullen gets suspended for this game. You know, talking about the Missouri game, it, I get this, this is going to be a two parter for you, kind of in a way. But, you know, first off, I mean, you know, Florida finally gets back on the field. So I guess my first part with you is going to be just overall, how do you think they looked, you know, you know, being off that much, that long is. I guess is why I'm trying to word that. And number two, I came overly impressed with their defense. And I want to get your take on that. And that's going to lead us into them going against Georgia offense because I think Florida probably looked their best defense for this year. Uh, only 17 points allowed, which one of those touchdowns was a interception return, 248 yards, 40 on the ground. They forced two turnovers and just real quickly, just some stats going into that game. They were giving up 33 a game, 495 total yards, uh, 164 on the ground, 331 in the air. So I guess, you know, just kind of roll that all in one. Uh, what was your big takeaway from Florida and uh, especially on the defensive side of the ball? Yeah, and Missouri had come in the last uh, two games before that and winning in two different fashions. Uh, they went and won a shootout versus LSU, and, and then the week before had beat Kentucky kind of at their own game in a, in a knockdown, slobber knocker, drag out type of game there. So you were wondering how Missouri would ta- uh, attack Florida defense, and then you find out the Florida defense is missing Donovan Steiner and Sean Davis and Marco Wilson, and okay, well, maybe. Maybe Missouri can take advantage through the air, even though the week before they, they they ran the ball and you know they tried to run the ball. They didn't they didn't um they didn't they didn't attack the, the Florida secondary uh, a lot like I thought they would. I do think they, they 
tried to pick their spots early and didn't have a lot of success. This Florida defensive front getting Kyrie Campbell back really, really paid off for the Gators, and we were waiting to see that. We we know he's not an all-SEC and all-American type of player out there, but he's been a two-year starter in the SEC right there in the middle for Florida, and he finally played his first game of the season versus Missouri, and it really helped guys like Zachary Carter go play some more defensive end instead of having to play defensive tackle just because they needed another body there. They helped Brenton Cox not have to play defensive end and, and stand up and play that rush buck in spot. So Jeremiah Moon could also play that more of that you know, outside linebacker pass rush role as well. And it really helped Florida get into the backfield more against Missouri and make some tackles for a loss and string out some run plays toward the sidelines. And, you know, the, all that with everybody they had to replace in the, in the secondary, the, it started up front. It started up front because they got Kyrie Campbell back, and he made he made a huge, huge mark uh, in, in coming back there. So we'll see how that translates versus Georgia. We know Georgia's going to want to run the ball, and Florida come off their best performance uh, last week versus Missouri, but this is a completely different animal uh, when you go and look at all the four stars and five stars along that Georgia offensive line and, and the running backs that just keep rotating out there. We know that's going to be Georgia's run game. Florida has to be up to the task. They were up to the task last year and just let uh, Jake Fromm convert third down after third down. But they held that run game in check last year uh, for, for, for the most part with a banged-up defensive front last year. So we'll see how all that translates uh, in, in, into this year. But for the first time heading into a game, you think this Florida, conf- Florida defense probably has some confidence going into a game. Yeah, and they're going up against the quarterback sets of Bennett that's thrown five interceptions in his last two games. I mean, and it seems like, especially in Alabama game, when you know it, they had to throw the ball, they had to go score for score against Alabama. You know, he couldn't handle it. And the thing about it, when you look at these two games, previous games for Georgia, he's going to give you an opportunity because he's had balls bad at line of scrimmage, and who knows where that ball gets tipped, then it's going to make it fall in your hands. So I would have to think that the, the Florida coaches this week are saying, "Hey, if you can't get the quarterback, get your hands up." Absolutely, it's been an issue for uh, you know the undersized Bennett. And he's he's made some good plays. You go back to uh, the Auburn and Tennessee games, and but you know I, I think his team started getting more film on him. They've been able to figure some things out uh, that they like to do. He likes to throw in man coverage, and and zone 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 coverage gives him a little bit of trouble. Likes throwing to the left in the middle of the field uh, there. So we'll see how that, all that continues. But it does start up front again. Uh, for the defensive line for Florida, not only in the run game, but the passing game as well, going to your point of getting back there, getting in his face, not letting him see over you. You get close enough, bat the ball. And he had some troubles with, with that versus Alabama. Had some trouble with that versus Kentucky that led to an interception. So uh, absolutely, you know it's a point of contention uh, there for this Florida defensive line. And you know, kind of, kind of just going back and, and extending that, you know, Brenton Cox, the former Georgia five-star transfer from Georgia, now plays for the Gators, coming off his best game as a Gator. You know, what's going to be his uh, his his level of being able to control himself with all the emotion that's probably coming playing against his former team? Can he hold in check? Can he still like he did last week? Can he hold an edge? Can he stretch a play out when he's supposed to? And then when he also is supposed to go out there and get to the quarterback and, and make a big play. So, you know, that's the one player everybody's going to have their eye on. And it probably won't, when Florida's on defense for the first time versus Georgia Saturday, you know CBS is going to throw up, hey, here you go. This guy for Georgia, there will be a spotlight on him, and, and we'll see if he can perform under the lights in Jacksonville. 
You know, when you look at with when the Florida offense is going to Georgia defense, of course, Georgia defense is one of the best in, you know, not just SEC college football, but they're coming into this this game banged up. And, of course, uh, Richard LeCount will not be in there because due to the uh, motorcycle accident over the weekend after the game is Kentucky. And they've got some other guys out as well. And you look at what Florida's been to do offensively this year, very impressed. You know, Kyle Trask is playing great, one of the best quarterbacks in college football. And you got Kyle Pitts at tight end, which really is he tight end because he lined him up at receiver, <laughs> it feels like, most of the time. Then you got Kadarius Tony, where they put all over the field so when you look at with the florida offense uh against the georgia defense what are you seeing where florida perhaps can take advantage of some injuries or just some matchups yeah you know not only is as the count out but you know jordan davis julian rochester for georgia on that defensive front probably not going to be playing either and you would think that's going to lend itself to okay maybe once florida wants to come out there and run the ball a a bit more but that's not that's not florida's offense you know florida's going to come out here and, and attack uh, with Kyle Pitts, with with Kadarius Tony, with a few other options at receivers, the running backs are getting into the passing game a bit more. Uh, so I don't think you'll see her just because of what Georgia's missing. A lot of wholesale changes in what Florida really wants to do. Now, where I do think it can help Florida is when you have those short yardage situations and you're worried about an offensive line, defensive line matchup with what Georgia would normally have with Davis and Rochester. Maybe situational football is a lot bigger. Now these third and twos are a bit easier. You can keep the chains moving, then you go take your shot on first down. You know, or, or something like that. So I do think it really helps situational football for Florida in short yardage, goal line to go situations that those big guys are, are missing for Georgia. But with, with Richard LeCount being out, kind of that captain there back there for Georgia on the back end, you have to worry about some communication issues now for this Georgia defense on the back end. And we saw how they struggled versus Alabama with, with big plays down the field. Can Florida do a lot of the same thing? Now, don't get me wrong. Florida and Alabama are both explosive offenses, but they're explosive in different ways. You know, Alabama is a get-behind-the-defenders explosive type of play. Florida is a intermediate, just uh, a little deep maybe, but break tackles and make some explosive plays happen. Kyle Pitts and, and Kadarius Toney, are, 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 you know, that's how a lot of their big plays happen. So, look. Alabama doesn't have a Kyle Pitts or, or a Kyle Trask, but at the same time, Florida doesn't have a Jalen Waddle or Devontae Smith. They're two different kind of explosive offenses. But did Florida see enough versus Alabama that they can maybe take some shots down the field with a with a Trevon Grimes and, and, and get behind the secondary? So uh, I, on the surface, you think probably Florida attacks the middle a, a, a bit, see if they can get these new defenders out there for Georgia, uh, maybe with some trouble tackling or whatever. But there's still going to be the chance if the offensive line can hold up to take some chances down the field, see if you can replicate some of what Alabama did uh, just a few weeks ago. Yeah, it's going to be fun. It's going to be an interesting game because really it's one of these contrasting styles. You know, Georgia's probably going to want this game to be low scoring and Florida's going to want to get up and down the field. And I think we've all seen what happens when Georgia gets an up and down the field game against Alabama. They just don't have, they're not built for that. So it's going to be interesting on Saturday to see who comes out victorious. And uh, David, I do appreciate uh, you coming on the show to preview the Florida Georgia game. I feel like this is probably about the third and fourth year in a row you've had, I've had you on the show. So it's always great to have you on uh, during this weekend. It's always great to have you on any time to talk Florida Gators football and if the listeners out there wanted to follow you online where can they find you and where can they find down the Gators breakdown yep everybody can find down at news4jacks.com slash Gators breakdown or your favorite podcast platform YouTube version out there as well and you can follow me on Twitter at Gator Dave underscore SEC all right everybody go give David a follow and uh go listen to or watch the Gators breakdown and uh, David once again I appreciate you coming on the show and I look forward to talking to you again some time down the road thanks Phil 
All right. Once again, thanks to David Waters for being on this edition of Talking SEC. Always good to have him on to talk all things Florida Gators football. Fun preview there of the Florida-Georgia matchup as well. And then on Tuesday's show, I am going to be joined by former Georgia walk-on Candler Cook. He also wrote a book, From Underdog to Bulldog. I interviewed him on another podcast probably about a year and a half ago. So it's going to be fun to have Candler on. He had made an appearance last year during the season as well. So we'll get his breakdown of the Florida-Georgia matchup. And we'll also get his thoughts on the SEC as a whole and moving forward for Georgia with whatever happens between their game with Florida this Saturday. Now, I'm going to pick this game last, which there's only four games in the SEC this Saturday. No 11 o'clock game. You have... You have Kentucky, Missouri, Alabama, Auburn, LSU, and Ole Miss off this week. So a lot of teams are off. That's why you only have four games. I do believe this is the end of the scheduled off weeks. Of course, you never know what could happen with COVID, so we could have like a cancellation or a reschedule with some games. But if that doesn't happen the rest of the way, except for the 12th, where you will have Missouri, Vanderbilt, and LSU, Florida, we should go all the way through where we have seven games every Saturday. So we get full slates of game after this upcoming week. But anyways, you'll have Vanderbilt at Mississippi State. Like I said, I'm going to do the Florida-Georgia game last year. Uh, Vanderbilt at 0-4 will be playing Mississippi State, who is 1-4. This is a 2.30 Central Time kickoff on the SEC Network. Uh, this will also be a game where Mississippi State's a 19-point favorite here. Mississippi State, obviously, has been well-documented. The offense has struggled since their 44-34 to 34 victory over LSU to start the season. They have only scored 30 points since then. I do believe they've only scored two offensive touchdowns since that game. Vanderbilt has been a struggle offensively for them, too. They scored 21 against Ole Miss, but the previous weeks they scored 7-7-12. Seven, seven, I'm going to take Mississippi State here, so Vanderbilt's going to 0-5. I'll be honest with you, I don't think Vanderbilt is winning a game this season. I just don't, I don't see it. Uh, in it with the all-SEC only schedule. I wonder what happens there at Mason in the year if that happens. Mississippi State, I'm not calling this a get-right game like it was last week when Ole Miss played Vanderbilt, but I do believe Mississippi State will take this game and get some points on the board. Texas A&M, the number seven Texas A&M Aggies, will play at South Carolina. A&M, they are 4-1 on the year. Only loss was to Alabama. South Carolina, they are 2-3. and three on the year and they were off last week and before that they were defeated pretty soundly by LSU. A&M comes in as a 10 point favorite here. I like A&M there. A&M's playing really well here. South Carolina is not a bad football team but they're not really good enough to win here. And LSU game made a lot of mistakes too. Didn't take opportunities when they were in good scoring position. Had some turnovers there as well. But I like the A&M Aggies in this one. Then you have Tennessee playing Arkansas in Fayetteville. This is a couple of two and three teams, but feel completely different. Tennessee's coming off an off week where they have lost three games in a row ever since they had that 21 to 17 lead in game three against Georgia. They have not, they have not looked good since then. Uh, looks like from all signs that Garitano will be the quarterback on Saturday for Tennessee and look Arkansas they are two and three but they're in a good spot you could tell this program's headed in the right direction Tennessee I don't know on the other side Tennessee they are a one and a half point favorite here this is a 630 game over on SEC Network I am going to go 
with Arkansas here. I think Arkansas is just playing better. And I like the way Felipe Franks is playing, really. He's played really well this year. He's actually shown some growth even from his Florida days. I kind of wondered getting away from Dan Mullen, where would his development be? But he's playing really well. So I like Arkansas to win this one. And then finally, you do have number eight, Florida, versus number five, Georgia. I'm going to call it. I know they don't officially call this anymore, but look, this is what it is. The world's largest outdoor cocktail party, even though me and David talking about, not really this year, uh, with the fact is no tailgating and all the restrictions due to COVID. Georgia sits here on a Wednesday evening when I'm recording these picks as a three and a half point favorite. Of course, this is 2.30 kickoff central time on CBS. Georgia's beat up on defense a lot of injuries they sure there's five-star talent all over the place on defense but i do believe they will have some issues defensively in this game because inexperience will take a, a toll i think and another thing with the offense for georgia in this game what's the health status of george pickens he did not play against kentucky so if that element's there too and if florida does come to this thing with a little bit more confidence defensively like Florida can take advantage of some things and can Stetson Bennett, if he has to, I wouldn't say go toe-to-toe with Kyle Trask in the Florida offense, but putting up enough points to win, I don't think Georgia can do it. I think Florida finds some matchup issues with Georgia, and I, I, I like Florida to win this game. I think Florida wins this game by a touchdown. It's pretty close. If I was going to give it a score, I would probably give Florida 31 Georgia 24 on this one. And just a bonus pick. We do have Notre Dame and Clemson. And look, Clemson, ACC team, but they are in SEC country where they play in South Carolina. I am going to take Notre Dame in the upset bid on that one. So just throw that one out there uh, while we're at it, picking some games here. So that's five games. We'll see how I do on that. Anyways, that is going to do it for t- this edition of Talking SEC. Remember, be back on Tuesday with Candler Cook to recap the weekend of the SEC. And we'll talk, of course, Florida, Georgia, get Candler's thoughts. Always good to get a former player's take on what's going on on the field because he could tell you things I can't because, you know, I didn't play. I just love the game, love watching it every single week. Remember, you can follow me on social media at PJordanSEC and you can follow the show on Twitter at Talking SEC Pod. Remember, you can follow me on social media at P Jordan SEC. You can find the show on Twitter at Talking SEC Pod. You can listen to podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please subscribe, rate, and review. It means a lot. If you do that, if you leave a review, I will read it on a future edition of the show. You can always email me at sports.philipjordan at gmail.com and Make sure to check me out on social media. Got the Philip Jordan podcast coming back here soon. I was going to bring it back this week, but with everything going on, uh, people's minds may be somewhere else than checking out a new podcast I'm starting, which is kind of a re-debut of an old show. But anyways, hold that off to next week. Got some good stuff going with that. So go find that on social media as well. I do appreciate you guys taking time out to listen to the show every single day or week. Whenever you do listen to it, it really, really does mean a lot. Well, guys, I'm going to get out of here. I hope everybody has a great weekend. Enjoy the games on Saturday. Until next time, bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Talkin' SEC. Follow Philip on social media at PJordanSEC and the show at Talkin' SEC Pod. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. 
We'll see you next time when we're talking SEC.